0: Welcome to Red, White, and Confused. I'm your host Heather Evans. It's now been a little over a year since we covered the Bristol landfill on this program for the first time. Today I've invited a few guests onto the program to talk about the status of the landfill today. What has changed over the last year and what are the next steps? What needs to be done at this point that can help alleviate what's happening in Bristol, Virginia? I'm joined by Samuel Weddington, senior pastor of the First Presbyterian Church of Bristol, Tennessee, Jackie Knopflin, a resident of Bristol, Virginia, and the president of Bama and pastor of Household of Faith Community Church in Bristol, Virginia, and Dr. Don Evans, licensed engineer in the Commonwealth of the state of Tennessee, who has been providing his expertise towards solving this humanitarian disaster. So first, thanks to all three of you for being on the program.
1: Thank you. Thanks.
0: So it's really hard for me to believe that it's been a year already since I've had, uh, well, Sam, I had you on the program a little over a year ago. And Jackie, I had you on the program um, in the second show that we did about uh, what was happening with the landfill. So it's been a while, but for everyone living there, they've been dealing with this longer than just a year. How long has this been going on in the community? At what point would you say is kind of like the, the day in which Everyone noticed the beast and that there was an issue.
2: Um, For me, I've been noticing it at the church, you know, like 2020 on. But the day that it became a real hard reality that this is the landfill that's filling Fairmount community, the church, my house was uh, June 2021. Um, when I heard from one of our neighbors across the street uh, her mother who was a uh, uh, trying to recover from cancer and, and going through cancer treatments was being woken up uh you know one two three o'clock at night and couldn't go back to sleep and was sick in the bathroom and just she was in tears uh you know that her elderly mother was you know couldn't couldn't rest and, and get over, um, her cancer treatments. And that's when it became real for me, June, 2021.
0: Now, Jackie, I know the last time you were on the show, you also told us a little bit about kind of what got you interested in this issue and given the the effects that you were dealing with personally as well. Do you feel like the situation for the residents in Bristol, has it, has it been any better over the last year or is it, is it the same?
3: Heather, it would depend on, um, who you would be talking to towards where they live, uh, what area of Bristol that they're in. I'm at exit seven. So I'm a few, a little bit of distance, a few miles away. Those that live uh, around the landfill or those that are in the vicinity of whichever way the wind blows, it has gotten somewhat better. Every day is not the same. But those that live around the landfill smell the gases and the odors on a daily basis. Their homes are filled with it. Me, at my home, um, you won't find it every day. But every now and then, uh, you'll smell the gases and terrible odors that will stretch all the way. And keep in mind, I'm only seven miles from Abbey So that's the distance where the uh, odors do travel in that area.
0: Well, I was going to say, even here where I live, which is the middle of Abingdon, I still smell it sometimes outside my home. So um, I wondered how it was very close to the to the landfill. Now, Dawn, I know that you've been working um, a little bit on mitigation of this disaster. No, no, no,
1: not so much mitigation. It's more okay. of, a, of, I would call it, over, independent overview. Got it. And and the questions you just asked, one of the things I did early on in my career was I, I worked for what was the old Atomic Energy Commission, Nuclear Regulatory Commission, Department of Energy, and and air modeling was one of the early things that the agency did back when we well not when I not when I was involved, but when nuclear testing was being conducted. So actually radioactive isotopes were very beneficial in designing models to calculate and understand how pollution uh, plumes migrate into a community. One of the things you can see in Bristol is the fact that certain communities just because of topography and meteorology take a substantial blunt of, of what emanates from that landfill. You know, Jackie was talking about her isolated uh, events. You know, I have isolated events at my house. If I get a wind out of the Northwest, and it can be pugnant, and uh, you know, it's pretty noxious. But some communities like East Bristol, Kingtown, uh, it, it's a combination of things because as the gas comes out of the landfills, according, and you've got to you use a big term here, and you've got like a thermal hydraulic head that pushes this gas over. And as it bubbles up, it just sort of rolls over the top of the edge of the quarry and it falls and just, it actually said that the quarry top is about 1,900 feet in elevation. So it just falls off and rolls right into the community. And if you've got conditions like an inversion layer where you've got cold outside ambient air, still wind conditions, it's a killer. And Bristol has been hit by that consistently for the last couple of years hey downtown Bristol gets hit pretty severely at times
0: how many years have you been studying this Don
1: well I got drafted into it but uh, I would say that probably probably March of uh, 2020 and uh, the event itself you could notice if you go back and look at the historical record there were some really awful levels of benzene being detected back on Virginia Avenue in in December of uh, Um, Was that 2019 or I think it was 2020? 2020, yeah, 2020. Well, at that point in time, it was a bit of a surprise because what they do, what the analytical method they use is like a canister, and it's called a TO uh, TO15. It's an EPA OSHA method, and you just basically it's under vacuum. You pop it, you pull an ambient air temperature ambient air sample into it. Then they use something called uh, gas chromatography, mass spectrometry to analyze the the different gas components in the canister. Benzene levels were really substantially high very early on, and the agency—and I say agencies, I should say agencies, plural—have plural, uh, taken a rather blind approach to that. But benzene by itself is not; it's just one of issues that you have. Uh, yeah. You know, certainly marcaptans, ammonia, hydrogen sulfide, and those are generally at lower levels. But the human nose is so effective that it can measure concentrations in the part per billion level. And at part per billion
3: level, it can be very irritating.
1: It's not like
3: Heather, if I may jump in right here at this point, I've, I've been holding my breath <laughs> in order to, to get this part out. I was there 30 years ago when they voted in to uh and finally uh were able to obtain the license and so forth to put the uh, landfill in that area where it's at now for that query and i remember the protests of those residents as they came into the uh mill into the um um city council meetings uh uh meeting at the meeting you know protested not to do that you know and for so many different reasons and on several different levels as well. The homes weren't uh, 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 impacted by odors and things of that nature outside of right around Shakespeare or, uh, or, or Kingtown, as much as it was those that were living in it from day one. I mean, trash is trash, and if you live near a dumpster, you're going to smell. The wind's going to carry the odors, and so for over 30 years now, people that have lived around the the uh, uh, landfill have been experiencing these odors and these smells, probably the benzene as well. But it did not impact the community until the winds picked up and carried. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was the continue packing, and Don could probably say it more elegantly, packing and packing on top of whatever or something went in there. Chemicals or something may have went in there. Don't know. But it was uh, a couple of years ago. It was when it, the odors, the gases, uh, were pulled up by the wind, the clouds, and it pushed over into Uh, Tennessee and different areas there, uh, even where we are right now at at the King College area, uh, First Presbyterian Church. Uh, They didn't smell it uh, all those years because they didn't live that close. But something happened that caused the odors and the gases to take effect
1: right now. I'm going to jump in here because Jackie gives me a good lead in. What happened to the landfill? Well, just real briefly, because I have some, uh, I think that certainly Sam has some issues about what's coming out of the landfill and the impact about the community and should we have a community notification. I wanted to elaborate a little bit about that later, but the landfill itself, it's a big pile, it's quarry. And municipal solid waste landfills are never designed that way today they're basically mounted structures. If you go to Johnson City at Irish Glen, for example, run by waste management, that landfills up on a ridge. And it's a gigantic landfill, but it's t- it has uh, terraces and it's built up and it has a gas collection system. You never notice it. And, and frankly, tons of municipal solid waste go into that landfill every day. And then one in Bluntwood's another waste management. landfill. But this landfill, the Bristol landfill, was a a Vulcan materials quarry where it was, all the limestone is taken out, it was economically uh, reasonable to take out. And if you know anything about geology, limestone is fractured and it's, you know, obviously when you mine it, it gets uh, broken. So you have to worry about groundwater migration. But here's the thing, when you have a pit, it's like a big, it's like a cup or it's like a sink. Where does the water go? The water goes into the sink. and You've got storm water. It goes into the sink and it never comes out. And you put trash in a sink and you just leave it there at one, at, at, at ambient temperature. Guess what? Bacteria just takes off. Now, there's good bacteria and bad bacteria. Bristol landfill doesn't have the population of methogenic bacteria that it should have. We have a lot of bad gases coming out of that landfill, and that's really because it's more of an aerobic bacteria. It's a blend, don't get me wrong. We have methane at that landfill, but we have all kinds of other gases that you should never see. And it's because it's a cup, and you can't see, it. you won't be able to see it on your program talking, but it's like a styrofoam cup. It's well insulated, all the heat stays in. The bacteria love the heat and they love the food and they love the water. So that's what we have. And it's a very complicated and then I cannot stress more importantly the word complicated. There is no simple solution for Bristol. Can, can I, I want to build on Jackie's uh, point and yours as
2: well, Don. And it's something that I did not realize and Jackie's right on. Most of us in Bristol we did not live with the reality that folks right around the landfill live with. Um, you know i wasn't uh you know in bristol when they were getting ready to put this in and so many of us have been spared this for a very long time but what i have learned out of my time of dealing with this issue is actually how uh common this problem is particularly in poor vulnerable communities in the state of Virginia, this is one of four problematic landfills. If you look at the other three, they are in primarily communities overrepresented by persons of color, poor yeah. four, uh, four populations, those that tend to not be paid attention to politically. I can take you to North Carolina. I can take you to other spots in Tennessee, Georgia, Alabama. across Alabama, yeah. across the United States. I mean, even Pennsylvania, we were there's some cautionary tales there. You know, we, we have a trash problem as a society. It has to go somewhere. Are you gonna manage it well? It is much easier to send your trash to a place where we don't care about the people that have to live with the reality. And now, for lack of a better term, the, the, the chickens have come home to roost and poor community after poor community, uh, you know, across this nation are facing a, a disaster like we're facing here. It just turns out, to Don's point, that our landfill setup is very unique because it's in a quarry and there's all these other attending problems making it like a lot worse and potentially even worse if it's not, if it's not fixed. But I, I have really walked away from this experience with this realization that we have a societal trash problem and and it's not just a trash problem like the stuff we throw away. We have a society that honestly wants to throw and sacrifice communities, throw them away because they don't count. And I we that this is that's an element of this story that I think everybody needs to walk away from and, and keep. You know, how are we treating the quote unquote least of these in communities across the United States? Are they really throw away people in communities or do we value them? And if we value them, then we have to have resources and oversight to help them fix those problems and stop building, you know, stop allowing
3: some of these facilities to be managed uh, inappropriately. If it wasn't for those that are privileged or those that were in positions uh, to uh, be effective in speaking to the city council uh, members in Bristol, Virginia, then the issue wouldn't even be addressed I think that the odors would have continued to have uh, gotten worse I don't think we'd be at this magnitude of about 30 million dollars in search for how we're going to get it fixed I don't think any of that would have taken place but but um, I, I've noticed that uh, as long as someone's voice continues to speak out against it against those that are left that are less um, I say less privileged, those that are impoverished area that it, it, it's sad that we fight for children. And yet these babies right now tonight are over there trying to get a good night's rest and they can't hardly breathe. The sign is upper respiratory. And there's been documentations of that through Ballad Health on what this these gases and odors are causing. And later on, I believe, a few years from now. We're going to really find out what the effect was. I hope I live to hear it too. I I want to add on to what Jackie just said. One thing that we're really suffering
1: from here is a a very good understanding of what really is emanating from the landfill. First, I'll say that my state, uh, the Tennessee Department of Environment and Conservation, has politely um, washed its hands. I I like to use the Pontius pilot scenario here. Uh, See no evil, hear no evil. Ambient air monitoring for certainly the communities on the Tennessee side would be well worthwhile, and, and TDEC is certainly well funded. The Tennessee budget is, and the rainy day fund is out to galore. Um, on the Virginia side, it's one of we go out. with of I was discussing earlier the TO15 method, the canister. You know, this is one of the most absurd things you can really do because it simply is a bomb. To take you take it out, it's under vacuum, and you pop it. And you can have a slow release or you can have a fast release. A slow release might take 24 hours. But it's a a very pathetic way of doing uh, environmental uh, ambient air sample. It's just not something one would do, uh, except as a screening tool. And if you just do screening, you don't have the data. And the other data we don't have is really good health data. Uh, it's deliberately such that you don't want that database. Now, a few years ago in the Tennessee Department of Health, because we were non-attainment for ozone, they were going, they were looking at all the health records in the school systems for all the problems you would associate for ozone. Well, as soon as the area became attainment again, that process stopped. And there has been no effort to collect any kind of data for how kids do in elementary schools or for that matter, senior citizens and community centers, because there's no requirement. And unless you're forced to do it, they don't do it. And it's a tragedy here. They don't want information hurts the government. And they don't want it. And,
2: and so now, if you don't mind, we'll just keep building. I feel like we're going to a crescendo here. And it was one of the big things is is this, is that this this landfill, like many others across the U.S., has now reached this critical point where I do have to give credit where credit is due. There is now a concerted effort by the city of Bristol, Virginia, under order of the state of Virginia to try to remedy this issue they're working on. They've got the crews. There was a vote last night to allocate another $24 million. Imagine that. Somebody's listening to this and you're in your local city government. Imagine what I And that's just one piece of it. A $24 million bill comes due just to fix this and we don't know if it's going to solve the problem but it's at least something so the coffers are being sucked dry to take care of an environmental issue 30 years in the making there's a whole story that goes into that and and so there's a concerted effort being made to fix it there is a process now where this matter has been referred to the attorney general's office of the commonwealth of virginia and that's under wraps the commonwealth's attorney has said or the attorney general has said there will be no comment from this office moving forward because this is open litigation. That's just legal ease of saying they're not going to say anything. They're negotiating, working with the court, stuff like this. So it's in like a, 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 a decent place. There's a good attempt being made. But here's the thing is the problem is so big and the problem is so systemic. And that relates back to, we're one of four in the Commonwealth That we're, we're at this point where it's going to take state and federal dollars and oversight to really fix this problem, not just for us, but for Hampton, for Petersburg, for Cumberland County, for Buckingham County, for all these other places that I can tell you about. It's going to need aid and oversight to fix what really should not have been allowed to be a problem in the first place. And the question is one of political will. Do we care as a society for, again, the least of these? the poor, uh, those at the margins, the vulnerable, because whether you you uh, care about the environment or not, this is about quality of human life and how we treat our fellow human beings. And are we a society that is willing to allow children, the elderly, those with health complications to not even enjoy living in their own homes, whether they're large or small, and be able to eat and sleep and live life without the plague that is the gases and,
3: and the attending odors that are coming off this landfill and so many others. And I call that uh, environmental injustice. Uh, this is something that, a topic that in this area, people do not want to admit that's what it is. They want to pull it, uh, um, um, make it... Um, uh, more politic, uh, politi- politics on how uh, it's going to be verbal or how it's going to be said. But the fact of the matter is everyone's suffering and everyone's I- involved are in this injustice and it's dealing with the environment. And so in that case, environmental injustice is what this is all about. Now, it started over in Bristol, Virginia, in, in the poor is area of the city, and now it's all over the place. It's all the way to Avenue, as you said, where you are. It's all the way down Bluff City, Blunkville, and different places of that in Tennessee. That's
1: true. So now we That's all really have all. to suffer
3: uh, this thing. That's the reason why I believe that we're here, to push forward uh, until we get free of this beast
2: and interesting, I really like how you put that. Uh again, not that folks listening to your show may know this, but there was a very famous um um theologian back in the 60s and 70s by the name of Gustavo Gutierrez. Uh and and uh he he his theology is a, a theology of justice and a theology for the poor, you know. Uh and he talks about the eruption of the poor that as a society, for example, that exercises and practices injustice, it tends to sort of roll downhill again to the poorest, the most vulnerable, those without a political voice. But that's, that goes on long enough. Guess what? The poor, eventually their problems become your problems because it, it it's not just contained to them any longer. It's contained to those further up the social, economic, or other you know chain. And there's a point where their, uh, their problems erupt. Their, their voice eventually has to erupt, crying out for justice. And that's where we find ourselves here uh, in, the, in the Bristol landfill is an eruption of the poor and the problems of the poor now becoming problems of all Bristol, rich, poor, black, white, uh, any anyone in between. And, and now it's getting the traction and I thank God for the traction. But I think maybe, I don't wanna put words in Jackie's
1: mouth, I mean, it's a shame that it's taken us 30 years to get here. And I would not necessarily... It, there has been a substantial improvement, yes, because of the conditions of the landfill. It just simply can't be ignored. But there, the politics in this area, and in both states, are strongly a, a, a Republican, conservative, physically conservative attitude, and in some ways also uh, I would even go as far as argue, to argue that there's even a racial bias in, in the politics in, in the South. And Most
3: well, definitely.
1: Well, and I'm, I'm trying, I'm <laughs> trying to be somewhat polite, <laughs> but there is, there is a strategy of, of simply trying to ignore, and and it goes back to my issue about it's easier to ignore if you don't know a crime is being committed, and the lack of data on the part of of Tennessee in particular and certainly the Commonwealth is in many cases, it's absolutely a shame. And unfortunately, uh, one will say, well, how come EPA region three isn't involved? Well, they did send down what they call a Superfund team to do some basic, uh, what I would call baseline studies where they're very crude and very quick. But in the prior administration, the Trump administration, there were 10,000 layoffs in the uh, uh, EPA. And having worked and retired from federal service, you take 10,000 people out of an agency, it's sort of hard to get things done and expertise get lost. And we're suffering from that, too. So we have a, we have TDEC, which I, I consider utterly irresponsible. They just simply pretend we don't have a problem on the Tennessee side. And they point at Virginia. Virginia's the problem. In Virginia, simply, we don't have a problem, if they could say that. And, and unfortunately, that's where we are. And, and although the, the reckoning has come, I don't want to put a picture on this It's easy. And even that $24 just just get a sense of where that's going. That's mm-hmm. just going on the high wall. To basically, it's a high wall mitigation. Now that's not mitigating the landfill. That's just mitigating where you've had substantial subsidence in that landfill and that allows air to go in and also air to come out. And all that needs to be sealed up. And that's $24 million. And we're not talking about a, a closure. If you start talking about a complete good design closure, and you know, we're, we're in the category of 60 to 70 million dollars on the on the easy side of the fence. So you know the battle has only begun.
2: And again, and this is
1: and not just the states, it's it's the federal government.
2: You know, you're talking about EPA coming in, you know, do they really want to test and know that there's a problem here? And are the funds no, going to no. flow? And I said this on a previous show, Don and I were on. Look, I, I'm uh, I'm a pastor, I have to be non-partisan. I've got Democrats and Republicans in my congregation. I'm personally tired of partisan politics where we can't work together as a community. And you know, I I I almost have an allergic reaction to the hyper partisanship that we find our society in. But, but here's the deal is that uh, despite partisanship, we do the the purse strings of Congress are controlled by the house of representatives. And we have a delegate in Northeast Tennessee and one in Southwest Virginia, Diana Harshbarger in Tennessee, Morgan Griffith in Southwest Virginia. All right. And, At the end of the day, there is funding at the federal level. There is a new environmental justice office with health and human services. There's environmental justice at EPA. There is new funding that has opened up to treat and deal with issues like the ones that we're facing, but there's a price because EPA is a regulatory agency under the executive branch. The price is this, is you're going to have to play ball with uh, the president. You're going to have to play ball with the executive branch. And at the end of the day, this is a challenge to Representative Harshbarger and Griffith, is put the partisan politics to the side. Uh, You know, you may not like regulatory agencies, but the citizens that you represent in Bristol are suffering and they need you to go hand in hand to the executive, to EPA, to Health and Human Services and say, we need money, assistance, oversight to fix this issue because our citizens are suffering. And to date, to date, I have seen none of them, neither of them they they I do they I do have a representative from Harshberger's office that says reached out. I appreciate that he showed up at a community event but the representatives themselves coming to Bristol to talk about this environmental disaster, it is one of the most profound landfill environmental disasters going on in the state of Virginia right now. Neither of them have come to address just that issue and make a pledge to their constituents that we're going to go and get the funding that's necessary to get this fixed. And that makes us feel invisible.
1: There's an underlying tenet to both of these representatives, be it Harshberger. And be it Griffith. And that tenet is that the Environmental Protection Agency represents a a war on fossil fuels. And it's a war on all the facets that Republican politics has held so dear for the last several decades. And that often becomes a block in the way that they view things. Even when a community is in a, a, a disaster, that attitude prevails and it's particularly bad with uh, Senator Griffith. It's, I mean, Congressman I don't want to promote him anymore. When I have to, but the point is that he, he, he really does throw his hands away at this problem. And it just, it's one of, he doesn't want to confront it and, and pretend it's not there. And that's bad.
0: What can listeners do who want to be really active on this issue? I mean, as you have all pointed out, a lot of people didn't pay attention to this until they were personally affected, which is, in my opinion, really sad. Um, those who are being affected the most are those who live really close to the landfill. They have the worst. Um, if we think about the ways in which their homes are constructed, um, the the just being safe in your in your space and having good air quality, all of that, you know, they they are the poorest, as you mentioned, Sam. They they they're, and no one paid attention. And now it was like it wasn't until the richer individuals were affected by this the businesses, right? The industries, all of these, you know, they're wanting to expand Bristol and bring in the casino and do all these things. It wasn't until those sorts of things got in motion and people started smelling it outside of right near it that people paid attention to it. What can people do now to get their representatives to, to move on this? I mean, our are letters going to help are calls going to help are you know tweets going to help what is it that you think can help How, what can everyday like if i was talking to my students right now and i said here's what we need to do to help on this is there anything we can do that that can help
3: Heather, i think that that if we could energize the virginia residents to make a stand in number uh, and fight against what's happening to them uh, or to us, I think that it would make a difference. But in order for that to happen, usually in so many cases, something drastic has to happen. Something devastating has to happen to a community uh, uh, before people will actually make a stand. Uh, This is bad. the gas and the odors, it's its horrific, but the people are settling for what they hear or whatever they're being told, uh, and I believe that communication is a key, and yet the, <laughs> the councils sometimes fail to make that communication clear. Telling people that it's getting better and it's going to get better is one thing, but the people are still suffering. And I believe that because of fear, they're not going to stand up and make a stand. Keep in mind, there's a lot of government housing in that area. People may lose their housing. They're afraid of that, especially in this area where there's nowhere to go to live, uh, uh, no housing. Uh, So you're stuck. The poor are stuck. But I believe that if we can energize them and get them to realize that they have to have a voice for themselves and speak for themselves. I'm going to add on to what Jackie just said.
1: She said sometimes it sometimes takes a disaster or something more cataclysmic than what we have now. I, I want to paint just a little bit of a picture of what has been a low-level disaster, which at any moment could be something a larger. The landfill—it's been debated for quite a while whether there's a surf surface, subsurface reaction in the landfill. There is clear evidence for that. That the, the thermal couples that were required uh, have not been installed yet. That process is ongoing, but certainly we have temperature data that says so. But when you walk on that landfill, and this only occurred a few weeks ago, and this is contractors doing work in regards to the remediation. Basically, monitoring the landfill to see what the temperature profile is in the landfill. Well, they had to leave the landfill surface. Now, why would you have to leave the landfill surface? Well, you had to leave because the methane levels on the surface of the landfill were so high on that particular day that there was the, you know you were you were in that category of above the higher explosive limit. And I said that means well, okay, it won't immediately explode, but as soon as the air is diluted with some more oxygen, it becomes a real threat. I mean, you could have a deflagration wave, a wave of flame, and if you're caught inside of that and you're a worker, you're hurt. Well, the other thing is, if that's happening at the landfill on the surface, we know that we've lost a few homes the city had to buy and condemn. Well, where did that methane come from? Is it emanating from groundwater? It's going through septic systems? Is it coming through fissures in the ground? Is it coming through ambient air? Uh, there is no emergency procedures that the community has for these kinds of events. And in fact, if you look at some of the sampling data that was done with TO15s, so and the city did this, some of the manways that connect the, 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 the Bristol, Virginia sewer system with Bristol, Tennessee, they sampled. And it's not safe to go into the man, it's not safe to go into the sewer system uh, currently because you have to, because of a variety of reasons, hydrogen sulfide gas, methane, but, but the levels of benzene, just in air measured under those TO15 analytical methods were substantial. So the point I'm making is, we've got gas going places we don't want. Some of that gas is explosive. Some of that gas are toxins. Um, where's the emergency plan? Uh, if the, we have had combustion events where the fire department shows up, but nothing's really said, so it's not going to affect somebody else. Well,, there are there is something called the uh, Emergency Planning and Community Right to Know Act, EPR, as an abbreviation. Mm-hmm as applied to landfills fields has always been an iffy thing by the EPA but in this case it clearly applies there's there are extremely hazardous substances and even larger quantities of less extremely hazardous that, that those substances don't fall in that category EHS but are still in large quantities a serious problem Bristol Virginia needs to have an emergency plan of which they can notify you know, local residents of a problem. And those who live very close to the landfill, continuous monitoring of methane levels is certainly advisable. And then to throw on top of this, I think sort of the icing of the cake, you've got a detention, a juvenile detention center right next to the landfill. Now it's got air intakes on the, on the building, which is required by ASHRAE standards and the building cone. Fresh air has to come into it. Well, God forbid the fresh air that comes into that is is enough to to really irritate. And and in fact, it even generates the risk of explosion. The city has ignorantly, well, not ignorantly, the city has very calculatedly taken an attitude of if you don't tell people there's a problem, there's not one. And there is, and they need to know about that. I'm sorry I got off on the bandwagon so bad here, but I've been trying to.
2: Look, and I, I want to build on this, and I, I want to do this as more of kind of a rallying cry. Uh, you know, uh, it may not be important to your listeners, but I'm just going to say it this way. Uh, my mother's side of the family, uh, and around the Greendale, Abingdon area, goes back to the late 1700s, early 1800s. My father's family goes back to Pike County, Kentucky in the late 1700s. My grandfather was a coal miner. I, I am Appalachian uh and you know we were shopkeepers coal miners everything in between i am a son of this area just like jackie you and your people are sons and daughters of this area well don't exclude well, and don you too you too and, here, and here's the thing we, you, you might, we you, were lumberjacks <laughs> <and coal miners. laughs> there were,
3: but we were but, slaves so <laughs> Well, <laughs> well, you got, you got the so worst situation.
1: I'm sorry. Lumberjack's too good either.
2: But but out of this history in our region, I, I want my kin's people mm-hmm. to hear it this way Is when, oh, when are we finally going to stop being the refuse heap for the United <laughs> States? We fueled and powered the lights of the major cities and uh, the steel factories of this country that went through multiple wars and built skyscrapers. It was our blood, sweat, and tears. It was the blood, sweat, and tears of slave ancestors and others in this area that quite literally built the modern industrial United States. And the minute they took something from us that they wanted, what did they leave us? They left us slag heaps. They left us trash. They left us opioid epidemics. They left us decimated communities. And at the end of the day, the rallying cry is this, when will this stop? And this is not about partisan politics, because I I see neither party wanting to address the systemic generational issues of injustice. And to anyone listening to this, when, oh, when will we demand a different future for our home? for the home of our ancestors and those who have come before. It is time for this to end. The, the, this landfill is just one of 10 issues that we could talk about in relationship to this environmental justice issues. I love these hills. I love these rivers. I love these mountains. I grew up here in my childhood and they're my best memories. And now I can take you to places where it looks like a moonscape. When, oh, when is this going to come to an end? And when is we as a society, the Commonwealth, the state of Tennessee, when, when are we going to demand that others take that
1: seriously and stop treating us this way? Yeah, you keep know, in mind that there's 60,000. I, I did some calculations this morning, something I, I, I have to do. On a daily basis, there's 65,000 65, pounds of methane gas being produced at that landfill. And that's a conservative calculation. That's pounds. I'm not talking about parts per million. That's pounds of gas. Now, 65,000 pounds of gas is a lot of methane gas. And that's not counting all the bad gases that we have emanating from that landfill: Hydrogen sulfide, ammonia. Are captains and in fact if it is burning a little bit and we know it is burning it's combusting you get something called two three four I mean two three seven eight tetrachloro dibenzo dioxane. and if you recognize the name it's one of the classic carcinogens that just is absolutely defined as a, a given cancer producer Oxen. And it's in that landfill, and we need to know its presence. I'm sorry I'm beating it so well, but we need data on that landfill.
0: We do. And, you know, in the beginning, when I first introduced all of you, I mentioned how it's now been a year since I had Sam um, and Joel on the show uh, originally for the first for the first show. Um, and now here we are again, right? We're going to continue to talk about this, and we've been con- talking about this. This is going to be something that takes multiple years. Am I right, Don? How how many years do you see this playing out with this landfill and like trying to?
1: Well, one thing I'd it? like, you know, okay, uh, I'll answer your question, but with this caveat. One thing I would like to see immediately is when the attorney general's letter uh, basically introducing potential for a suit against Bristol, Virginia, and and the civil penalty that can be assessed on a daily basis. He left open the probability of that landfill being reopened. He did not by any means close and say that landfill needed to be closed. He just said it's in violation of its permit. Permit needs to be terminated. And they never talk about the air, the Title V air permit, and That they don't want to close. They never talk about the solid waste permit. All of those permits need to be terminated. And the only consent order that should be out there is a consent order that mandates a permanent closure of the landfill in a safe fashion where there is no ecological and environmental impact to anyone. Public health and safety should be primary. And it's not primary. But back to your question, what is it going to take? Closure of that landfill is going to take a lot of money, and money, unfortunately, is going to determine the progress of what's done on that closure. And optimistically, uh, I'd love to see six foot of closure, uh, I mean six foot of closure, six foot of cover, a membrane uh, laced in several layers on that cover at different locations, a good gas collection system, and all that's going to cost money and time. And I would think that if we're lucky, maybe in five years we'll be at a
3: 60 to 70% mark
1: for effective
3: closure. I think it'll take about 10 years before there'll be peace for those that live around the uh, landfill. I think it's going to take a much longer time. I think that even though you cover and pack and pack and cover, you're still going to have the uh, um, gas,
1: the smells. And, 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 You're
3: still going to smell and,
1: trash. So, so Jackie's, uh, Jackie makes a point. You know, the city made this great statement about their one foot of cover they put down a couple of months ago. And that was utterly just a futile activity that says, oh, we're doing something. We're flying the flag. The city is here, and we know there's a problem. We put down one foot of cover. And that was just a trivial act. It's like a kid that's having a tantrum in the hallway. It's just, it's immaterial. It doesn't solve anything. But people thought, hey, we're not taking waste, and they put down one foot of cover. If you don't get the water off the landfill, that's another big issue. We have to get water off that landfill, and that's going to cost money. And, And just, we're talking water. The state of Tennessee ignores everything. They don't want to check their watersheds And if you're gonna tell me there's not benzene and polyaromatic hydrocarbons and other junk, it's in our watersheds on the Tennessee side, then I'm sorry. Uh, It's just a a blind approach to the problem. And and I look, so I
2: I don't hide it. I'm gonna close my comments this way. I don't know about a, a timeline per se, but for me, this is a driving question. You know, some of your listeners, uh, I know will be fellow people of faith, this verse just keeps coming back to me. This is where we are as a society, this is where we are as a community, and it, uh, it just keeps speaking. It's Jeremiah 12:4, and the prophet asks, "How long will the land mourn, and the grass of every field wither? For the wickedness of those who live in it? The animals and the birds are swept away." because people said he is blind to our ways there are so many debates about our society godlessness all this kind of stuff this is the bible if that's what your listener uh, subscribes to and there's the prophet asking the question how long will the land mourn and if you turn a blind eye to this if you don't write a letter if you don't make a phone call, if you don't demand of your elected officials that someone take this seriously and bring help and aid to the residents who are suffering, to the earth itself that is being scarred by this, then we are all guilty of this last bit of uh, pretending that God is blind to our ways. The chickens are coming home to roost. There is a price to pay, and I, and I don't want that price to be on the backs of those who can't afford to pay.
0: I don't think I could have said it any better than you. That was beautiful, Sam. Um, And you're right. Everyone needs to be paying attention to this, writing the letters, doing the work, making everyone pay attention to this, that have positions of power. Um, So thanks to all three of you for being on the program today. Um, And thanks to everyone for listening. If you missed any piece of the broadcast today, you can listen to this program. Again, wherever you listen to podcasts like Spotify and Amazon, Red, White, and Confused comes on weekly on 90.7 WEHC and WISE FM at 6 p.m. on Thursdays and Sundays at 1. And you can find us on Facebook as well. So if you like the show, feel free to share it with your friends. Have a great week.